Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Well, I want to let you know of something different that we're doing this year. Uh, I meant to say this earlier. Uh, I've been here a long time, and I think for the very first time, we are actually going to switch up our tradition of our Christmas Eve Eve celebrate with family tradition that we are going to bring back next year. And for this year only, we are actually doing two services on Christmas Eve morning. There's going to be one at 8.30 and there's going to be one at 9.45. We want to just make sure that everyone who wants to be here, uh, it falls on a Sunday. It just made sense for us this year. It's going to be a special service still. Uh, So we hope that you'll make plans to join us on Christmas Eve morning. And uh, look forward to seeing you there. Now, I don't know about you, but how many people have uh, started watching Christmas movies yet? Anybody? Most of us in here, Christmas movies are just awesome, right? I mean, it is part of the joy and magic of the season. And if I was to ask you what your favorite Christmas movie was, I'd probably get like 200 different responses, Ah, why not? I'm going to ask you, okay? On the count of three, I just want you to shout out your favorite Christmas movie, okay? One, two, three. (laughs) See? Isn't that fun? Now, I might have told you this last year. For those of you who weren't here, don't remember, because why would you remember? I want to tell you my favorite Christmas movie, and that is Die Hard. Yes? Um, uh, But also, again, one of the top, at least top five for me, is the movie Elf, right? I heard some of you uh, scream that out, Elf, with our friend Will Ferrell. I'm not sure there could be any other better actor for this role than Will Ferrell. But speaking of Will Ferrell, the reason why I bring that up is because a couple weeks ago, if you remember, as we were wrapping up our series on prayer, I talked about another one of his movies. You remember this? Talladega Nights, The Legend of Ricky Bobby, right? And we actually looked for a quick second at at his prayer that he has around the dinner table, and it struck me, because I want to open kind of my session today by looking a little bit at that prayer. He says, um, I like the Christmas Jesus best, right? The tiny baby God, he calls him. So he says, exactly, I like the eight-pound, six-ounce, newborn infant Jesus. Don't even know a word yet, just a little infant, so cuddly, but still so omnipotent. Now, a couple things there. I've studied long and hard to find if there's anywhere in the Bible where it says how big baby Jesus was when he was born. I have not found that he is eight pounds, six ounces. If you're a Bible scholar watching this, let me know if you have found that. I have not found that yet. Um, but I, there's other things in that prayer that honestly gave me pause. 
Because I think if we're honest, a lot of us like the tiny baby Jesus best. And today I want to explore a little bit of why that is and where we need to go from there. Now, um, you guys grew up with like putting out a nativity, like growing up, maybe you have one out. How, how many people have decorated for Christmas yet? Okay, a bunch of you. Do you put out a nativity? All right, so uh, this is the nativity. I have a picture of it that I grew up with. You can see it there. I mean, um, this has got to be 40, 50 years old by now, right? Uh, my mom passed that down to my, my sister, and so I asked her to take a picture of this for me. I remember as a kid um, looking at this, you know, of course, you know, it might be dusk and the lights are down, the tree lights are on, and you're looking at this scene of this manger, and of course, I had this idea of how the nativity, you know, how all of the characters should be placed in the nativity. And, and, and without a doubt, every time I would go there and look at it, someone had moved those characters around because they thought it should be something different. But my point is simply this. We look at this scene, and again, it's all part of this Christmas story. And as someone says... That makes that tiny Jesus in the manger just makes everything feel so comfortable. And I think probably, if we're honest, we do have that same kind of sentiment. We have the whole thing of like the little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay in silent night, away in a manger. And these are the images we get of Jesus, the tiny, the delicate baby God, the approachable one, the comfortable one. But before Jesus ever came to this earth, before Jesus came as a baby, God was already God. And for that matter, even before the very first humans were put on this earth, God already was. And in this Christmas series, we're actually going to go backwards. And I want to look at the God of the universe. Not just the tiny baby God. And I want to get a sense our aim over the next four weeks or so, Carrie and I are going to explore who God is and why in the world did Jesus have to come as a baby in the first place. So in order to kick this off, we are going to start right at the very beginning. If you're taking notes or you're following along and if you're online, these notes are on there for you. We're going back to the very first verse in all of the Bible. The first book of the Bible is what? Genesis. We're going to Genesis 1, verse 1, and this is what it says. In the beginning, God. Before there was anything else, God was. And this should tell us something already right there. There is no beginning with God. There is no ending with God. God is an eternal being. 
and he dwelled with the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit in a place with his angels high above us. But God's plan was to do something. And so the next word in that verse comes and it says, so in the beginning, God, what? Created. The eternal God decided at some point in infinity that he would take this void, lifeless mass and put life on it. And so he created earth. There would be a rhythm to this thing called life. It would be precious. And if you just go over the next chapter in the Bible, we're still in Genesis chapter uh, 2 now. It says, he said, uh, God actually breathed life into the very first people to inhabit the earth. So God was, he wanted to do something though, so he breathed life into humankind. And he just gives them one rule. One rule. That's it. Don't eat of that tree that's in the middle of that garden. That perfect paradise that I gave you. But as you can imagine, it doesn't take long for God's enemy to feed humankind the very first lie. And it's the same lie I'm going to propose that he still uses on us today. And it's this. You can become your own God. You don't need the God above. Just become your own. You are the most important thing on this planet. And they believed it. And so for generations, humans have tried to, important word that I'm going to speak about all day long, transcend. Throughout the ages, even, people have dared to call themselves God. And I wonder how that makes God feel. Now, I've thought about that in my own human way, how that might make God feel, but it might surprise you that God feels probably a different way than Tom would. Because of his great mercy and love for his good creation, highlight good creation, we get these nudges all the time that there's something missing. What I like to call them is these God-shaped holes, which is from a song from a long time ago. But we feel, all of us, every human feels something inside them, deep inside them. There's a longing. We can't always put our finger on it. But we're missing something. And even now, even if people have no knowledge of God, they're stirred up inside for something bigger than themselves. We all long for something bigger than ourselves. We all long for something bigger, something grander, something greater, something higher, something above. And let me say this, church, he is out there. He never left. Because not only God was, but God is. And God is still in control. And eventually the whole world will know this because he is also the God who will be. So is God was, God is, and God who is to come. 
He will always be God. He is transcendent. So, I've said it a couple times now. Let's talk about transcendence. What does transcendence mean? Well, I'm going to give you the literal definition. It comes from a Latin word, and it literally means this, beyond ordinary limitation. That's the literal word for transcendence. That's the, that's the definition, beyond ordinary limitations. But for today's purposes, I don't want to concentrate on the definition. I want to concentrate on the results of what happens with transcendence, and it's this. I want to think of it in terms of what the implications of transcendence are, and I think it's this. Something of transcendence importance, it's transcendent importance, something that is transcendent, means that everything pertaining to it actually depends on it. I'm going to let you just chew on that for a second. Transcendence for us means that everything pertaining to that thing that is transcendent actually depends on it. In other words, even if we've lost sight of it, the created beings, us, still actually depend on the creator. We depend on something above us. We depend on something that is transcendent. We may not realize it yet. We may not know it yet. We might not want to know it yet. And certainly we can't, again, fully even ever understand this. But I would assert that it's one of the most important things as human beings that we have to grapple with in this life. See, when I read about the God of the Bible, for me, for me, so many of the gaps begin to get filled in when I begin to open up my mind and my heart to the belief that there is something transcendent and above me, something that is omnipotent, something that is omniscient, and something that is omnipresent. What does omnipotent mean? All-powerful. What does omniscient mean? All-knowing. And what does omnipresent mean? Everywhere. And in fact, if you look at gods throughout history, no matter what you're looking at, no matter what religion or even myth, God beings have at least some of these characteristics. The God of the Bible is not only above us, but he's greater than us in every single way, and that is hard to comprehend. In fact, some of your brains might be hurting right now. But here's the deal. We make ourselves our own little gods because we still believe that original lie of the enemy, the one who is anti-God, by the way. We have come to the point where we believe that we can do all of this thing in our own power, that we can make it if we just believe. But, There's this great passage in the Old Testament that says this, Isaiah 46, verse 9, says, I alone am God. And I am God, and there is none like me. He goes on to describe, only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything that I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. I can call a swift bird of prey from the east, a leader from a distant land to come and do my bidding. I have said what I would do, and I will do it. 
Listen to me, Tom and Gala. Man, we are so stubborn. There is one God of the universe, and it is not us. In fact, he is everything we are not. He is transcendent and above. And for the rest of our time today, I want to explore that. And I want to convey to you, however you may be feeling about that right now as I start out, that I believe this is actually a good thing for all people. So here's the first thing I'm going to say. By acknowledging a God above, it means that we have order below. A God above means that there is order below. Now, I don't know about you, I'm the type of person who needs a plan, okay? I cannot stand chaos and disorder. And hey, we just happen to be in the season where we have the most chaos and disorder of our lives, right? I don't know how if your Thanksgiving was chaotic or not. Um, if it wasn't, good for you. Um, but this applies to my whole life. You know, if I sit down to do work in my office or whatever, I, I just need to make sure everything is set around me. I'll clear my desk. I'll clean up this little thing that I have hanging out over my head. Now, now that's me. Some of you love chaos. <laughs> you prefer it, maybe. I don't understand you. You're weird. Um... I think when it comes to the holidays, too, you know, I wanted to do this, but I couldn't find a good one. Like, we have this ideal image in our head of what it, <laughs> what it should look like, what it's going to look like. And then we need to contrast that with the picture of what actually is. Reality, exactly. But let me just say this. God, the God above, the transcendent God, is a God of order, not chaos. Just look at the creation of the world. The order he made things, the time span it took, even the regulation of seasons gives us a glimpse into a God of order, does it not? Uh, let's look at more of his creation. Let's look at the human body, the intricacies of the human body, how the brain works. How everything just works together, the kidneys and the gut, the reproductive system. There is order. And even if we look through history, we see God's order and design. When I think about Christmas, this struck me this week and I was preparing for this. Even there's design and order around Christmas. There's this, there's this verse. Some of you might know it. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says this. But when the right time came, remember this verse? God sent his son in human form, born of a woman, subject to the law. 1 Corinthians 14, 33 says this. God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. And this is really good for us, Colossians 1.17. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Imagine a world in chaos. Now, my guess is a lot of us don't even think about this, but there is something good in a transcendent God that we may or may not acknowledge, but he is bringing order 
to the universe and our life. And that means a transcendence God. With a transcendent God, there can be peace in the chaos. A transcendent God means that he holds the universe in his hand and nothing will ever happen to it that he doesn't ordain. A God above brings order below. And my friends, that's a really, really good thing for us. Here's the second thing I'm going to say. A transcendent God, a God above, means for us purpose below. Again, when I think of humankind... And when I think about us, when I think about our deep longings, we all long for purpose. Humans long for purpose. Humans long to know that their life is going to matter. Even famous skeptics agree that a world without order, without something higher, will bring no purpose and no meaning or even justice. In fact, one of them, quote, says, there'll be nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. But this can't be, because we know in our hearts something different, because we're wired for purpose. And I believe we're wired for this, and I believe the explanation for me, what I have found, is in a God who has put purpose within me. Psalm 8 is a great passage of scripture. We're going to read it together. Uh, I'll read it for you. It's going to be on this screen. It says, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You've taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals? That's you and me, by the way that you should even think about us, human beings, that you should care for them. And I love this next word, and for me, I underlined it in my Bible. It says, yet. You know, something's coming here. It says, yet you made them only a little lower than God. And you crowned humans with glory and honor, and you gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. The flocks, the herds, the wild, the animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, everything that swims in the ocean currents. Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. See, that tells me God gave humans purpose. He actually gave us dominion and control over the things on this earth. Our purpose is to care for it. We were given minds and free will and the ability to love and to be loved. This brings purpose to our life. In fact, I love this verse. We've probably used it a couple times this year given the series that we've taught. Jeremiah 1.4 says, I knew you before I even formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart. What is that saying? I have purpose for you. Even before you know it, I, know, I have a purpose for you. And when you live in that purpose, God brings a peace to your chaos. As one of the prophets, as one of the apostles was actually teaching uh, in a place where there were a lot of um, uh, educated people, he, goes, he, he says this, he goes, For in him we, loo- we live and we move and we have our being. He goes, even your own scholars have agreed to that. It just tells me purpose. 
Paul was trying to talk about purpose. And that's a good thing because a God above means purpose below. In all of us, there's no doubt that's a good thing. And then there's a third thing. And the final thing brings order below, a transcendent God. A God above brings order below, it brings purpose below. But a God above also means hope below. See, another deep longing of the human heart is hope. In fact, hope is so powerful. It has gotten people through situations that seem impossible. You start reading stories, even of like prisoners of war and things like that. The only thing that kept them going was the hope that something was coming for them. I was reading a recent Time Magazine article. In fact, I think it was last week. It was entitled, Five Ways to Cultivate Hope When You Don't Have Any. It was written by Angela Hopped. And um, she interviewed Chan Hellman, who is the founding director of the Hope Research Center at the University of Oklahoma. And this is his quote. He says, hope is a way of thinking. Hope is the belief or the expectation that the future can be better. And that more importantly, we have the capacity to pursue that future. The opposite of hope, therefore, is not pessimism, but rather apathy with its loss of motivation. And while wishing is passive, hope is about taking action. You see, we use, basically the idea of this, we use hope in all the wrong ways. I hope that's going to happen. I'm kind of hope that will come about, but you know what? No, no, no. I, I still remember this. Years ago, I was taught this. Maybe it was high school or college. I wrote it down, I think, and I never forgot it. And someone said this. He goes, here's the biblical def- definition of hope. It's a confident expectation of a guaranteed future blessing. It's a confident expectation and a guaranteed future blessing. You might want to write that down because I'm going to tell you what, the God of the Bible is a God that brings hope to people. And certainly of all the seasons, Christmas, we see this word come up all the time, hope. It's a time of great hope. And my question is, why? Why do we say that? Why do we do this? And here's what I think it is. It's because the sovereign, gracious, good, all-powerful, above, transcendent, all-present God of the universe sent hope down in the form of a baby whose whole purpose was to come into this world and die. And you say, well, that doesn't sound really hopeful. That sounds kind of tragic. So why, again, does this give us hope? And it's because of this, to bring it full circle, because we believe that we can be our own little gods, we allowed sin. And and what I mean by sin, and again, it's another word we don't like to say, it's wrongdoing, it's wrong action, it's wrong thoughts, all these things, we've allowed that in, and we've allowed it to permeate our beings. In fact, the Bible says, once those first humans sinned, it, it It it, uh, ruined all generations behind it. All of us are born with sin. I hate to say we are not born good. We are all born sinful. And so logically, thinking through this, again, whether you believe or not, but logically, a perfect, transcendent God cannot tolerate sin, right? He cannot be in the presence of it. And so we needed a remedy, He had to make a bridge. 
And so he says, son, I'm going to send you to earth as the bridge. Because I want to stay in connection with my creation. And this gives us hope. And when we get, begin to get really honest with ourselves and we begin to think deeply about the God of the Bible, which we are doing a little bit this morning, maybe for you, like it does to me, when you go and look at this, the gaps in your understanding begin to get filled in just a little bit about how the world works. When you open yourself up to the idea that there is a transcendent and above God of the universe, one who is omnipotent, one who is omniscient, and one who is omnipresent. A God above you and greater than you in every single way. It's the only logical explanation for me. And this is a really interesting like, line that we're walking today because especially in our culture, American culture, but I think around the world too, we often think, and think rightly, honestly, um, we settle into this perspective of God as the the all-loving, the all-good, the all-gracious heavenly Father. Which, by the way, we just talked about this a couple weeks ago. That is, that is right, and that is true, and that is accurate. But it's important to remind ourselves that there is still the transcendency of God. There is an above God who is above all and over all and sovereign a God above you who is greater than you in every single way. This transcendence is a good thing. It elevates God to his rightful place. Yes, he is our dad, but he is also the sovereign God, the transcendent God of the universe. And when we are able to put that in its right place, we begin to acknowledge something a little bit deeper about purpose. In hope. And for me, and I think for all of us, there's only one reaction that's appropriate to putting God in his rightful transcendent above place. Some of you may know what I'm going to say. It's worship. Worship is a sense of awe and wonder and reverence. Because what we're saying is, God, you are God, and I am not. I am going to lay down all these faulty ideas that I can make it on my own, that I could be my own little God. Because, God, I've tried that, and I keep, seem to keep trying that, and it's not working. I need something bigger. I need something that's going to fill in the gaps, and it's you. And it comes through the hope of your son. The ultimate mind-blowing reality is that this awesome, transcendent, above-us God, here's the cool thing, still wants to be close to us. And I read someone who says, the closer you get to God, the bigger he gets to you. And that's so true. The closer we actually get to God, the bigger he gets. What begins to happen is more faith begins to develop in our hearts. More awe and wonder begins to develop in our hearts. See, what's happening is we're putting him in the proper place and we're putting ourselves in the proper place when that happens. 
The more we understand the greatness and the transcendence and the above God, listen to this, the more we actually understand grace. How much we needed a solution. The grace, right? When we see him in his proper place as big and transcendent and above all, we realize how much grace we actually need. So, as I wrap this up, here's what I want to say. I don't want this idea of transcendence, which is scary and crazy and mind-blowing and mind-bending and you may alter your, your view a little bit of the world and of religion and all that kind of stuff. I don't want that to make you a skeptic. Instead, I want you, and I've attempted to start to say, this is a good thing. Because let's be honest with ourselves. How powerful, really, is a God that we can explain? How powerful really is a God that we can predict, right? How powerful really is a God that we can decipher? I don't know about you, but I need a God who's above me in every single way that I could put my faith and trust and hope and confidence in. Isaiah 55 verse 8 says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. My ways are far beyond anything you can even imagine. You try to dream it up, God's above that. Just as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And again, I say, so what's the response? What's the response that we have? What should that stir up in us? And this is really interesting, uh, but there's the Psalm uh, person who wrote Psalm 131. This is what they said. They said, Lord, my heart is not proud. Maybe it used to be, but not anymore. When I consider your greatness in your all, I am not proud. My eyes are not haughty. In fact, no more do I concern myself with matters too great and too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself. Like a weaned child who's no longer, who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child, my soul is within me. Put your hope in the Lord now and always. When we get to the point where we understand that there is a transcendent God above us in every way, shape, and form, we get the chance to sit back and say, okay, God, I'm letting go. It's all you. And I'm just going to do my best on this earth to give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory that you're due. A transcendent God gives us, I think, two feelings. It gives us both appropriate fear and reverence and at the same time, comfort and peace. This is a good thing. The story of Christmas is transcendent. Everything about it was beyond natural and human conception. It was all beyond our physical dimension. We honestly cannot fully understand it. And this is precisely why everything hinges on it. It's exactly why the world needs the tiny baby God. God, we love you. 
give us proper perspective this morning. God, help us to see you not just as our father and our friend, but as the sovereign God of the universe who transcends all and is above all. May it start today. May it start in small ways just by acknowledging who we really are and how much power we really have, or should I say don't have. And may that give us perspective. In Jesus' name.